And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and he was esteemed, we esteemed him not. Surely he borne our griefs, and he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered him, that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. On Friday, about two billion people all around the world gathered together to celebrate this truth. To remember and celebrate that indeed Jesus hung on a cross all alone, suspended between earth and heaven because of the sin of the world and because of his love. But what we gather together this morning for is to celebrate the fact and the truth that that is not the end of the story. What we gather together to celebrate this morning is that yes, Jesus finished his work on the cross, but his death is not the end of the story. That Jesus' death was not the end, but it was actually the beginning and the opening of a new way of life for all of humanity. And so this morning, in celebration of that truth, of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, I want to read another part of the story. I want to look together into the Gospel of John to look at the continuation of the story. We're going to jump right in. If you have a a Bible or your phone, feel free to open it. If not, it should be up on the screen above you. But this is the recording of uh, the disciples' experience three days after after, the, the, the death of Jesus, after the crucifixion. I think what we're going to find out this morning that a lot can happen in three days. It says this in John chapter 20. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them are running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded and placed by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed." For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. You know, as I read this, I suspect that Mary and the disciples thought that Sunday morning was going to be just like any other day. I suspect that they thought that they were just going to have kind of a quiet day of grief and of mourning to themselves. Instead, their world was rocked when they got to the tomb and the experience was shocking. 
We're told here that the disciples went back to their home. We're told here that Mary stood by herself, weeping outside of the tomb. There's a lot that can be said here. There's a lot that can be done with this passage and looking through the rest of of this narrative here. But I don't know about you, but I'm struck by Peter. I'm struck by a man here named Peter that says he went along with the other disciples. He ran to the tomb, but when he got there, he just looked and he kind of observed. And he went in and he found what were the cloths that were wrapped around the body of Christ at his burial, but he found them all nice and neatly wrapped up and set aside. He found that indeed Jesus was not there, but he had been resurrected. I'm curious to think and to wonder what what Peter was thinking, what Peter understood through this moment, what was going through his heart and going through his mind. We know that Mary wept, but for Peter, we don't get much other than to just hear that, that he went back home. It's interesting that if we read through the rest of this, we would find out that Mary has her encounter with Jesus, that the disciples go to the, and lock themselves in their home, and we assume Peter was there and that he had an encounter with Jesus. We hear then that Thomas had run away kind of out of fear and wandering, and finally he comes back on another day that Jesus appeared, and we assume that Peter's there in the mix, but we're not sure because he's not fully mentioned until we get actually to chapter 21, which I want to read again just another portion of the story for you if, if you'll follow with me. It says this in chapter 21, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, now Peter's the very first one named, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, okay, then, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught Nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they said to him, No. He said to them, Well, then cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for working, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, and they dragged the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. It says in verse 9 that then when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and some of the fish as well. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. See, as I read through the narratives this year, thinking about what would be the Easter message, I didn't want to have just some tone-deaf triumphalism hurrah. Do you know what I'm saying? This is 2022, right? Or, right? Yeah, 2022. <laughs> Two years, I can't count anymore. Keep track of what's going on. A lot's happened in our world, right? A lot's happened in, in two and a half years. But what we find here is that a lot has happened in three days as well. 
And I think why I'm honed in on Peter is because really, honestly, there's this one little statement here in John 21, 14, where it says, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. For those of you that know the story and the narrative of the gospel, do you remember how many times did Peter deny Jesus? It was three, wasn't it? It was three times. And here we see that Jesus resurrected in bodily form, still with the scars that he showed Thomas, still with a voice and a body like ours that he was able to cry out and speak to Mary and call her by her name. Peter has this encounter with Jesus in which three times he sees and experiences the risen Lord before he's able to understand and comprehend really what the resurrection means for him. And if I'm being honest, and maybe if you're being honest, I think the resurrection is a lot like that for you and I as well. See, the reality is that the material world in which the disciples were living wasn't changed even one bit by the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? They woke up that day, and who was still in control? Rome. They woke up that day, and there were still Jews that were in bed with the Romans. And so they're hiding in their room out of fear because Jesus' body is gone, and they're afraid that they're going to get accused for it, and they're going to get persecuted for it. And so what do they do? They go and hide. Mary's shocked and stunned. She's there in disbelief. She has no idea what's going on. It's not like, again, she woke up and the day was different because Jesus was resurrected in terms of its material fashion. The disciples still had to pay their bills, didn't they? They got up, and what did, they, what did Peter do? He says, I'm going to go fishing. Who wants to come with me? He had to eat. They had to eat. Their lives materially had not changed one bit. And yet, Jesus comes to each of them to reveal to them that they're where they are currently and what's going on in their world is not the end of the story. Mary was stunned, confused, and bewildered. She turned to mourning. Peter comes running, shocked in disbelief. The disciples lock themselves, mourning, afraid, hiding. Thomas withdraws. He's isolated. He's doubting. He's seeking. And yet the resurrected Jesus comes to each one of them, finds them where they are, as they are, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of the disbelief, in the midst of the shock, in the midst of everything that's going on, to declare to them that where they are is not the end of the story. And again, for our friend Peter, Three times he sees the resurrected Lord before he has this personal encounter that allows him to understand that what the resurrection does is not necessarily change the material world all around you, but what it does is it invites you into a new perspective and into a new way of living. It invites us to understand and realize that the way that we are currently now, the way that things have been, it's not the end of the story. See, in each case, Jesus comes and he invites them to receive this new perspective. I appreciate and I really love what Jennifer M. Rossner, who's a, a Jewish follower of Jesus and a professor of theology at Fuller Seminary, she said, Jesus didn't cancel death. He conquered it. Jesus didn't cancel death. He conquered it. I want you to think about that statement for a second. Even in the midst of your own reality and the things that you're thinking about, the things that you're facing, the material world that we're living in this morning. See, I think the disciples were wrestling with how to reconcile this resurrected Jesus in front of them with the struggles of the world that they were still living in. And again, I think that's the same for you and I. See, they, the disciples found themselves in this place where they were realizing that the effects of the fall, the effects of everything going on, it was still happening even though Jesus was risen. You, you tracking with me? Do you guys understand? See, I think you and I wrestle with that. We have to face the fact of our own failings even as Peter had to face his. 
We have to face our shortcomings and those of others. We're surrounded right now by the atrocities of war, the pain of injustice, the frailty of our humanity because of sickness and virus and all of these things. And yet the truth still remains that what? Jesus is risen. We gather together this morning out of a declaration that that we believe that, that Jesus is risen, even though what we might see and experience right now in our material world, not too much actually has changed. See, but for Peter, there was this invitation from Jesus to enter into this conversation and into this dialogue, even in the midst of his shame, even in the midst of his pain, even in the midst of his wondering, I failed Jesus three times. What's he going to do with me now? I turned my back and denied him three times. What's he going to do with me now? And what Peter finds out is that three times there's a declaration of grace and of love and a pronunciation over his life that Peter, as you stand here now, this is not the end of your story. I've got something different for you. I've got something greater for you. I've got an invitation for you. And I believe that invitation is still true for us this morning. See, we know the biblical narrative, right? How many of you know this biblical narrative? Well, let's interact here a little bit, yeah? Okay. Uh, many of us would even say we believe this truth, right, of, of the resurrection, yeah? Interaction again, how many hands, yeah? We believe this reality, this truth of the resurrection. And yet, I think if we're being honest, at least I'll be honest this morning, I wrestle with this question of how do I experience the life of the resurrection now, right? How do I experience the life of the resurrection now? I think what we find out through the story of Peter is that Jesus welcomes us just as we are this morning with our doubt, with our questions, with our fears, with the history of our failings, that Jesus comes to us and he finds us there in that place and he's not turned off by it. Instead, he comes to us and wants to declare to us through his resurrected body that where we are now is not the end of our story. See, the resurrected and living Christ, if you're here this morning, and if you're joining us online on Zoom, if you're here this morning, I believe you're here because the resurrected Jesus is pursuing you right where you are, just as you are. Questions, concerns, failings, wrestlings, all of it. And what he wants to declare to you through his resurrection is that there is grace to be found on the other side of failure. That there's forgiveness to be found on the other side of sin. That there's restoration to be found on the other side of broken relationships. That there is healing to be found on the other side of sickness. That there is life to be found on the other side of death, even if we have to wait for it for a considerable amount of time. Because from God's perspective, where you and I currently are is not the end of our story. I love one of the verses I was reading through the Gospel of John. In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said this. He said, I came into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I came into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. See, God's not shocked to find his world in darkness. God's not shocked to find his world in in pain. God's not shocked to find his world in a state of dismay. God's not shocked to find Thomas doubting. He's not shocked to find Peter denying him. He's not shocked to find Mary in a state of mourning and not connecting the dots when she saw the tune immediately that, oh my gosh, she had risen. You, you follow me? But what we see through this narrative here is that God doesn't back down on his promises. God doesn't leave us just where we are. 
That there is an overarching narrative of resurrection, of redemption, of restoration that God is working out. And even when we find ourselves, even on a morning like this, wondering and questioning, going, so what is the significance of this resurrection for me? I believe this narrative reminds us and tells us that God is constantly in pursuit of us, and he's constantly in pursuit of us to tell us kind of one thing. That where you are this morning, because of his love, is not the end of your story. Right in the middle of this narrative, the transition from chapter 20 to chapter 21 is this other verse that caught my attention. It says, but these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, I think one of the things that we wrestle with again is this this reality of belief, belief of my existence, my material world, and belief of this declaration of something so miraculous, so crazy, that even the very first disciples didn't comprehend it on first sight. See, many of us believe, I think, that if we slow down to consider where I'm at currently and consider the truth in the intersection of this, I don't know if I can handle the reality of what I find within myself or find within wrestling of the world. On Friday night, we got together for Good Friday, and we spent time here in this space, in this room, in honest moments of contemplation, of quietness, of worship, but ultimately to lament. Ultimately to come together in in the time of confession and to talk about the realities of what we've experienced over the last two and a half years or even over our lifetime. It was incredible to to then in the end to express that lament together through a a physical act of of expression of just hurt and of pain as we took paintballs and we, we threw them at this canvas. It was amazing just the honesty of things that were written on there. Things that refuted the lies, but things that were honest about the wrestlings and the things going on. See, I mention this because I think sometimes we can think that I believe in the resurrection and yet I don't know that I'm fully experiencing that. And we can believe the lie that says, you know, if I allow myself really to enter into this story of death and resurrection, I don't know if I'll be able to really face it. I might experience or discover there's actually so much pain that it just might crumble me, it just might crush me. But see, this narrative in John 21, the reason why I've just fixated on this here is because I believe that Jesus is actually waiting for us right there in the moments of our deepest pain. Think about it again for Peter. This was a moment of his deepest pain. After three times denying the Savior, to have to come face to face now with the risen Christ and to wonder and to consider, what's he going to say to me? What's he going to think of me? What's going to be his declaration over my life? And what we find here is that Jesus meets him there in that place of failure, that place of brokenness, that place of standing there even with his own wounds and his own scars to declare to Peter a grace and a love that reminds him that where he is is not the end of his story. See, I think what we're reminded of in this narrative and what we're reminded of even in this weekend that we celebrate is that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is a reminder and an encouragement to embrace both sadness and joy in life. Why? Because the reality is that every single one of our stories is inevitably colored by this truth. And in the midst of an empty cross, in the midst of an empty tomb, there's a risen Lord that comes to us and declares to us that the end of the story can be life and it can be victory when we trust in Jesus.
Again, I don't know how you enter into this space this morning. I don't know what you're wrestling with or what you're experiencing. I don't know what doubt or what shame or what concerns or what questions you have. I don't know the fears. I don't know the worries. I don't know what you've done or where you've been. I don't know what you've said about Jesus in the past or questioned who He is. I don't know how many times you've denied Him. I don't know how many times you've entered into broken relationship or have been the cause of it. I don't know what your thoughts are about this issue or that issue. I don't know if you believe the resurrection to be wholeheartedly true. I don't know this morning what pain you enter in with. But one thing, friends, that I believe to be true is this. That Jesus has resurrected. He is alive. And no matter where you and I are, no matter where we stand in the midst of that narrative, no matter where we look at, again, our material reality and it causes us to question and to wonder what's going on. Again, I believe this morning that what God wants us to think about, to consider, to wrestle with, to be honest with, is the fact that we live in a material world and Christ is resurrected and so what? The reality is that no matter where you stand this morning, where you presently are is not the end of your story. And I believe that God's heart this morning is to come to you over and over and over again, whether it's three times like Peter or it's ten times, no matter how many times it is. I believe and I trust that God is going to come to you throughout your life. He's going to present to you the truth, the reality, the facts of His resurrection and an invitation for you to believe and to have hope that there is forgiveness, that there is grace, that there is new life, that there is a different end to your story. This morning, we're going to celebrate this truth that each of us is in the middle of our story somewhere, wrestling with these realities, wrestling with these truths, or standing firm and strong in them. But the reality is that each of us is living a story. And this morning, we have two gals that are going to come and they're going to share their stories with us as we're going to celebrate baptism. And I'm excited to hear the proclamation of the resurrection of Christ, the gospel of Christ proclaimed through Anna and through Taylor through their stories this morning. But I want to take a minute just to talk about baptism for a second. Because baptism itself is is not a saving act. But what baptism is, is a declaration that I believe that Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, that that is the one saving act for the world. And what we're going to see and what we're going to experience is two gals sharing their story, but then they're going to go down into the water representing their own death, their own dying with Christ in that grave. And they're going to be raised out of that water, again, symbolically representing that they're being risen with Christ into new life. What I love about this stories we're going to hear is that these are two women, two gals in in their 20s. Their story is still to be written. Their story is still to be continued. Their story is one that reminds us this morning, even as the narrative of Peter and every account here is this reality of this declaration that because Christ has risen, the world that you and I live in and where we currently find ourselves, it's not the end of our story. God loves you this morning and he sent his son to die for you He sent His Son to rise for you. He sent His Spirit to come and to indwell you, to give you hope and call you into new life.
I love that Peter, before he died, at the end of his life, he writes this in his first letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Peter's story reminds us that no matter where we stand and no matter what's going on, there is a hope that is declared in the resurrection for those who seek it. There's a hope that's declared in the resurrection for those who believe it. There's a hope declared in the resurrection that tells you again right now this morning is not the end of your story.